You can turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1, and uh, pleased to have Roxanne Fisher read our scripture passage today. This will be John 1, 35 to 51. It's a little bit long, but could you stand with us as we read God's word together? The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip followed Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than that, he then added. Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Amen. This is the word of God. Just remain standing for a moment as I pray. Lord, This is your word, and we are so grateful for it. We believe uh, these are the holy words that come from your own mouth, your own heart and mind. So Lord, as we look into it now, we pray that your spirit would take your word and implant it deep in our hearts and transform our lives by what we hear and see. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Continuing in our series on the Gospel of John, Why Jesus? asking the question, why should we follow Jesus? For those of us who are following Jesus, why should we surrender all for, for Christ? And at times, finding Jesus doing some amazing things and saying some, uh, at times, outrageous things, and we're gonna ask him why, why he's doing and saying those things. So simply calling our sermon today, Follow Jesus, I want to begin by reminding you of this verse, John chapter 20, verse 31. This is so helpful because the Apostle John tells us exactly why he wrote this gospel. And he says, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So, so simple for us to understand. Why did John write these words? He wrote them so that we would understand and believe that Jesus is exactly who he's going to tell us he is, and that by believing in Christ, we can have eternal life. We can be saved. 
What's interesting about our passage today is we begin to see some of the very first people who came to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. We just read it. Roxanne just read it for us. As we hear Nathaniel say, you're the Messiah. And so we're seeing the very first disciples coming to faith in Jesus. And what I want us to see is that their experience, their faith, is a pattern for us. And so as we go through these verses, we're simply going to ask the question, uh, why should we follow Jesus? Why should we follow Jesus? So we begin with this point. Number one, we follow Jesus because he'll welcome you. So we see at the beginning of our passage, two disciples of John the Baptist, verse 35. So here's John the Baptist standing with two of his disciples. And as we saw last week, he'd already said this earlier. Notice in verse 29, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And now here on another occasion in verse 35, he sees Jesus again standing there with two of his close friends, associates, disciples, and he points to Jesus again. And to these disciples says, look, the Lamb of God. Now I love this, and we, we talked about this last week, because John becomes a pattern for all who follow Jesus, for all who've come to believe that he is the Messiah, this is exactly what we should be doing. We should be pointing to Jesus and saying to other people in our lives, our kids, uh, our coworkers, our classmates, our friends, we should be saying, look, the Lamb of God. So these two disciples hear John the Baptist say this, and they immediately think, well, let's Let's go find out more about this. And so it's a little creepy, but in verse 37, when they heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Uh, now, you can almost, in verse 38 now, sense the intuition of Jesus, who is God. We've already learned in this chapter. He's God. He's creator. So if two people are following him, he knows. It's no secret. He knows they're there. So, it's not just spidey senses here. He he knows they're following, so he turns around and he says to them, what do you want? I love how Jesus, he does this so often in the Gospels, he asks people questions to give them the opportunity to declare their intentions. Remember when the, the woman who was, had the illness, the flow of blood, and in her heart, she believes that if she can kind of make her way through the crowd and touch Jesus, uh, Jesus, that somehow she'll be healed. So she does that. She makes her way through the crowd, all these people pressing around Jesus, and she touches him, and immediately in her body feels, I've been healed. Jesus, do you remember what he does? Turns around and says, who touched me? He knew exactly who touched him. He knew exactly what had just happened, but he was giving this woman the opportunity to verbally declare her faith. I mean, it's kind of like what we did last Sunday with the baptisms. Jesus loves it when people declare their intentions. So that's what he does here. What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which was a term of respect. I'm not sure if they'd come to see Jesus as their rabbi, but speaking respectfully to him, they say, Rabbi, where are you staying? Now I find that a strange question as well. Where are you staying? That seems a little bit irrelevant, but what you need to understand, here's what they're actually saying to Jesus, I think. What they're actually saying is, 
Can we hang out? Could we come and be with you wherever you're going, wherever you're going to be here for this next few hours? Could we come and be there with you? That's essentially what they're asking him. They're not just wanting to know, like, what kind of house do you have or, you know, who's room and board? What, what's it look like? They're wanting to be there with him. That's what they're asking. And Jesus replies in verse 39, come and you will see. So here's my first point, is that when we look to Jesus, when we begin to pursue Jesus or we become interested in Jesus, what we find is we, we find a welcome. We find that Jesus turns to us with open arms. And this is a pattern all through the Bible. In fact, words like this are found throughout the scripture. And it's, it's this idea that if we seek him, what? We will find him. Seek and you will find. Or this verse in John chapter 6, a few chapters later in John's gospel, whoever comes to me, Jesus said, will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. This is good news. This is the love and the compassion of Jesus. Now, you might be saying, well, I mean, yeah, sure, Jesus, Jesus could welcome some people with open arms. He could say to some people, come and hang out with me, come and see where I'm staying, but, but Jesus knows me too well. He knows my life, he knows my history, he knows my past, he can't possibly accept me, and yet what we find in Scripture, the heart of God is always to welcome the sinner who is bold enough to approach and to come. Why should we follow Jesus, number one? Because he'll welcome you. There's a second reason why we should follow Jesus, and as we move on in the passage, we see one of these two disciples of John the Baptist, who, by the way, are probably, we know one for sure, is going to be uh, transfer his allegiance from John the Baptist to Jesus. That's Andrew, because Andrew is going to become one of the disciples of Jesus. So we find here in verse 40, Andrew, Simon's Peter, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah. That is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him, this is Simon here, and he said, you are Simon, son of John. Now, it's possible that when they had spent those hours together the day before, that Jesus and Andrew had talked about his family and talked about his fishing business and talked about his brother, his partner in, uh, in the business, which was Peter. But you almost get the impression here that as Peter comes to him, Jesus, just like he knew the day before that two guys were following him, he knows who this is. So he names him perhaps before anyone introduced him and calls him by name, names his father. But notice what else he does. He looked at him, said, Simon, you're Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. I love this about Jesus. So 
You, you can approach Jesus confidently. He already knows who you are. And not only does he know who you are now, not only does he know who you are or were in the past, he knows your future. And we can say it this way, Jesus is going to transform your future. Isn't that why he gave Peter this name change? It's even more clear in other gospels where Jesus says, you're Simon, you're gonna be Peter or Cephas, which is the stone, or Rocky. It's your new name. It was a name that some would say, well, Peter already fit the name. I mean, he was bold. He often was, was quick to speak. He wasn't afraid to speak his mind, of course, until Jesus got arrested, and then he melted like wax, didn't he? But Peter would become a man strong in the faith, a pillar in the early church, foundational in the early church. In fact, Jesus would say to Peter and the rest of his disciples, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth is going to be bound in heaven. Peter is going to be transformed into this new vision, this new identity that Jesus was giving him from Simon to Rocky. Spiritually, he's going to be a rock in the faith. And how was he going to be transformed from Simon to Peter? How would he become that man that Jesus is already declaring you're going to be? It's because Jesus was going to transform him. Jesus, who would be his rabbi for three and a half years, and Peter would get the chance to live with Jesus day by day, <clears throat> to hear him teach, to see his life of faith, to see his prayer life, to see Jesus showing compassion, to see Jesus doing miracles, all of this would begin to transform Peter. Of course, it wasn't just what he'd learn from Jesus intellectually. Ultimately, it would be the presence of Jesus indwelling him in the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost that would give Peter the strength after denying Jesus 50, day, 50 days earlier. Now he'll stand in front of the Jewish people and the Jewish authorities and he'll say, you killed your Messiah. Fearless, bold, courageous man of faith. How did it happen? It happened because Jesus transformed him. Now let's be really clear about this. You do not come to Jesus. You do not say that you're a Christian. You do not enter the waters of baptism because you've already arrived. We come to Jesus. We declare our faith in Jesus in baptism because we recognize how far we have to go. We come to him as the one who saves us from our sin and transforms us into his own likeness. But this is a process that's happening for all of us and it's not done yet it's the discipleship path we will spend our whole lives hopefully moving to the right becoming more like Jesus but it will not be completed until we stand in his presence and see him face to face that's when full transformation will happen but for now he already has a new name for you. He already has a new identity for you. He has a new purpose for you. He has plans for you, and he is going to transform you if you'll surrender to him as Savior and as Rabbi. Follow Jesus. Why should we follow Jesus? Well, 
Follow him because he'll transform you. Now this point I've already touched on with Peter because when Peter shows up, Jesus calls him by name, you're Simon, son of John. This becomes even more interesting as we read on in the story. Verse 43, the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, finding Philip. He said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, Roxanne did this so well when she read this this morning. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked, come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here truly, now picture this in your mind. Here's Nathanael, never met Jesus before, and as he's approaching Jesus, Jesus says this to him, calls him by name. Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked, how do you know me? Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. It's one thing for Jesus to know who I am right now. But what Jesus is showing us here is that he knew who I was back then. There's no part of my life that Jesus doesn't know. In fact, you remember what John the Baptist said about Jesus? He said that before, before I came, he already was. The one who comes after me, he said, was before me. Meaning that Jesus is the eternal divine son of God. But what we're finding here is that not only, not only was Jesus in the past because he's eternal, but he knows my past. He could say this to any of us. He, he, could, he could come to some of us this morning and, said, and say to us, I saw, I saw you last night on the internet. I was there yesterday when you spoke to your child that way. I saw five years ago when you lifted that product off the shelf and walked out without paying for it. There is nothing in our lives that Jesus doesn't know. One of the beautiful ways that this is illustrated, the compassion of Jesus for sinners. Remember, Jesus came for sinners like us. We see him on the cross with two thieves and one of the gospels say both of those thieves, both of those criminals were mocking him and ridiculing him. But in one of the gospels, I believe it's the gospel of Luke, we find that the one thief has a change of heart perhaps just by watching Jesus on the cross and hearing him say, Father, forgive them and just seeing his gentleness even as he suffered crucifixion. And here's this criminal who'd hurled his insults at Jesus, who'd lived a life of sin. And he says to Jesus, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Jesus said, yes. He knows everything about us. He knows everything about our past. He knows what people have done to us. He knows about the abuse. He knows about our failures. But we hear Jesus say in the Gospels, I've come to call sinners to repentance. We follow Jesus not because he doesn't know everything about me. It's interesting what he said to Nathaniel here, isn't it? 
Here, here's an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. You know what he's saying about Nathaniel? Here's a guy who wears his heart on a sleeve. Not, he's not trying to pretend. He's not wearing a mask, which so many of us do. Jesus would say of Nathaniel, that's not this guy. He, he's honest. We see that even as he speaks about Jesus and speaks to Jesus, kind of like Peter in that way. Follow Jesus. He knows you. One last one. Follow Jesus. He'll deliver you. Verse 49, Nathanael having met Jesus and Jesus prophetically telling him, I saw you, I saw, I saw where you were sitting, I know you were under a fig tree. Nathanael knowing that was miraculous, how could Jesus have known that unless he was God? And so he declares his faith just in that initial meeting with Jesus. It's like that was all Nathanael needed. I believe, Jesus. And he declares, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Now listen to what Jesus says to him. You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. Well, that's an understatement, isn't it? Because Jesus is going to walk on water. Jesus is going to feed 5,000. Jesus is going to raise the dead. So the fig tree isn't a big deal. But listen to what he says. It's almost like he's saying, here's the biggest. Here's the best of what I'm going to do and be. Very truly, verse 51, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now that is a weird thing for Jesus to say. And possibly many of you here are like, I don't get that one. But you can understand this, that Nathaniel knew exactly what Jesus was referring to. Anyone who was Jewish and who knew the Old Testament scriptures knew exactly when they heard Jesus talking about angels ascending and descending, they immediately knew of a famous story in the Old Testament that takes place in Genesis 28. It's the story of Jacob who had deceived his brother and stolen his birthright and stolen his blessing and out of fear for his life he runs away from Esau and he makes a life for himself in a faraway land but on his way back God calls him back to the land of promise but he knows he's going to have to face his brother Esau and on the journey there is a vision as he sleeps and in the vision there is a some kind of ladder or stairway up to heaven. And on that stairway, there are angels, it says so clearly, ascending and descending. And at the top of the stairway is the Lord himself. Now Jacob was so amazed by this vision that he literally called that place where he'd been sleeping Bethel. It's the house of God. Recognized that he had met with God. So here Jesus is making a very clear reference to that. There are two important parts of it. When Joseph saw the vision of the ladder, or sorry, Jacob, he says, God is here. God is in this place. And so the first thing we can understand that Jesus is saying is, you are going to experience what Jacob experienced. You are going to say to yourself and probably pinch yourself at times because you're going to realize you're in the presence of God. 
But there's something more specific because look at the way Jesus speaks here. You will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on, notice, on the Son of Man. Jesus is referring to himself in this statement. We don't have time to talk about what what that statement, Son of Man, means, but he's talking about himself. He says, the angels will ascend and descend on me. So which part of the analogy is Jesus attributing himself to? He's saying, I'm the staircase. I am the ladder between heaven and earth. I am the way between sinners and a holy God. It's me. And of course, this is the message of Jesus. This is the message of John the Baptist. This is why Jesus could be called the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is why John could say that he's, he's telling us about Jesus so that we would believe and that by believing we'd find life because if we believe and take hold of Jesus, we find the pathway between sinners and God. Follow Jesus. He'll deliver you. Praise the Lord, there is a bridge. There is a staircase. Understand this, that if Jesus had not come, there would be no hope for people like me and people like you. There would be no redemption for sinners before the holy God who created us. If Jesus had not come to be that stairway, there would be no need for us to gather here and sing songs of worship about Jesus. We would have no hope. But in Jesus, we have hope. And so John is saying to us, do like Philip. When he heard Jesus say, follow me, he followed, be like Nathaniel when he met Jesus and discovered that he really was God. He followed, be like Andrew, who when he heard John the Baptist say, there's the Lamb of God, he, he transferred his allegiance from John the Baptist to Jesus. Be like Peter, who met Jesus and heard him say, you're going to be the rock, and believed and trusted. Jesus is the stairway to heaven and no wonder we find verses like these in the gospels. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. You'll find rest for your souls. Or John 10, I'm the gate or I am the door. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Or John 14, I am the way. No one comes to the Father except through me. When we preach the Bible, my hope is that we can resonate with it as human beings. And whether you are already a follower of Jesus and maybe have been for many years, maybe decades, or you're here maybe for the first time, maybe today is the first time you're hearing about Jesus, but all of us can resonate with this reality that we are sinners who long, we have this deep longing in our souls to be right with God. And here's Jesus saying, I am that way. I am that gate. I am that rest. It's through me. And if you've never trusted in Jesus, my prayer is that today would be the day.
follow Jesus. What does it look like to follow Jesus? Let me just give you four things that we see in this passage. The first one is this. You can't follow Jesus unless you have an encounter with Jesus. That happens in all kinds of different ways. And even in this passage, we see it happening in a number of different ways. And every one of us have a different story about how we have encountered Jesus. Maybe for you, this morning is your first encounter with Jesus. You came to hear the choir and you had to listen to me, but you're hearing about Jesus. We all have to encounter Jesus. And then there's an examination that takes place. Now for some people, this just happens in a flash. It's kind of like with Nathaniel. It took him about 10 seconds to realize that Jesus is the Messiah and he needed to place his trust in him. By the way, some people believe that Nathaniel is the same guy as Bartholomew, who was one of the 12 disciples described in the other gospels. We don't know for sure. Sometimes it takes longer. So we have, we have these two disciples at the start of our text today who follow Jesus and say, hey, where are you staying? And they spend the rest of the day with Jesus, no doubt examining, learning, listening. Jesus does not expect us to throw our brains away and just mindlessly follow him. That's not what Christianity is. Jesus gives us all kinds of reasons, evidence, uh, reasons why we ought to and can put our faith and trust in him. Some of us spend a number of weeks, months, even years examining Jesus. Maybe that's true of you. Maybe you've come to church for years and years, but you've never actually taken hold of Jesus, which is the third step. This is the step that we all need to get to. I'm saying that we need to embrace Jesus. It's just a simple way of describing what it means to trust in Jesus. We're saved by faith. Embracing Jesus is a, is a description of that faith. It's like the Bible says that the gift of God is eternal life. If I held out a gift to you today, you'd have to take it and embrace it for it to become your own. It's interesting that to embrace Jesus requires that we let go of all the other stuff in our hands and all the other stuff we're carrying and all the other things that we've put our hope in and placed our trust in. We drop all of that stuff when we take hold of Jesus by faith. And then finally, we, we endorse Jesus. Don't you love the pattern here? Andrew meets Jesus. He's got to go find Peter, Simon. Philip finds Jesus. He's got to go tell Nathaniel. Brothers and sisters, if you are here this morning, you've encountered Jesus, you've, you've, you've examined Jesus, you have embraced Jesus, you are a follower of Jesus, then here's what we do now. As we move on from this place, we have gathered this morning, now we scatter. And we take Jesus and our endorsement of Jesus wherever we go in our week ahead. When we walk out these doors, our task is to do what John the Baptist did and what Andrew did and what Philip did and that is to introduce other people to Jesus, point people to Jesus, tell people about Jesus. That's what it means to follow him, that's what it means to be all for Christ. Thank you for being here today. We're not gonna sing in closing. I'm going to close in prayer. But I wanna add my thanks to the choir for all the hard work. It really felt festive today. I was really enjoyed that. Thank you for taking the time to do the survey for us. It's really helpful to us as staff and leaders.
Would you stand with me as we close in prayer? Lord, we thank you for these simple descriptions of some of your earliest followers. Thank you for the ways you revealed yourself to them. Lord, you, you do the same in our lives. We don't get to see you in person, but you still reveal yourself. Lord, I, I'm sure there's people here who are in that stage of encountering you and considering you, but haven't embraced you yet. Oh, Lord, what is it that they need to cross that line of faith, to truly embrace you. I pray that you might reveal yourself to them even today. By your spirit, you might convict them of their need of a savior. You might show them that this is the way and the only way to eternal life and to God. Help them to see that Jesus is the ladder, the stairway. Lord, for all of us who've chosen to follow you, we thank you for who Jesus is. Thank you that we get to sit at his feet and get to know him better and follow his teaching and his ways. And Lord, I pray that you'd give us the conviction to introduce him to others. Lord, so many of us in this room are so grateful that we can be followers of Jesus, but if we're honest, we're not really making it a priority to point to him and point others to him. So Lord, perhaps we need to just repent of that to recognize our calling as followers is to join you in the mission and look for others who so desperately need to meet Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. So I pray that you'd fill us with boldness and courage right now as we head into another week to be the ones to point to Jesus and introduce others to him. Would you make that true of us as a church and as individuals? We pray this, Lord, for your great honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. God, go with you this week.